And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Athletic Hockey Show, the Wednesday Roundtable Edition. I am Rob Pizzo from CBC Sports. She is Sarah Sivian, and he is Jesse Granger. How are you guys? Great. Jesse, how are you? <laughs> you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the way we do that because this is like the fourth week in a row. I say, how are you guys? And people can't see this because it's on Zoom. But you both look at each other like, who should we answer? So let me watch. I'm going to go like this. How are you, Sarah? <laughs> Thanks so much for this new concept. I'm great. <laughs> how are you, Jesse? We'll go in a circle. I am fantastic. Early morning is in Vegas. It. I'm doing wonderful <laughs> right now. I love those. Poor Jesse. Every time we figure out when we're going to record this podcast, every time I do, I'm like, oh, we're doing it early this week. And then I'm like, oh, well, Jesse's in Vegas. So he's doing it a heck of a lot earlier than us. But he's had his coffee. He's awake. He's ready to go. And it's good because we got a lot to talk about. We got two more teams making significant changes, not only behind the bench, um, but uh, in the front office. Sarah's going to be happy because she was sick and tired of hearing about how maybe <laughs> Vancouver was going to make changes. Guess what? They made changes. Um we're going to do a little bitching and moaning about officiating. It's it's finally happening. Even people who don't like to bitch about refs are bitching about refs. We're going to talk Robin Leonard in the Olympics. Uh, and later on in the show, Shana Goldman, the newest full-time member of The Athletic, who's going to be covering the Devils, uh, will join us. Um, but last night, guys, I'm watching hockey. And just to let people know, we have a little chat group with the three of us and our producer, Jeff. And, uh, you know, a lot of times we're kind of throwing ideas into this chat group of what we want to talk about on the show. And Jesse writes us all and says, so the Zegers pass is going to be the entire show. And I was like, um, possibly, uh, looks like he's just going to pull off a regular old. And I love the way I said that lacrosse Michigan goal <laughs> and floats a perfect aerial pass to Sonny Milano who bats it in, um, I'll start with you, Jesse, since you sent the text. What words did you say out loud when you saw that? Uh, I don't know if we're, those are allowed to go on this. Um, I think we're allowed podcast. to swear. Yeah. I think we're allowed. Yeah. Holy shit. Um, yeah. it, 
it it was incredible. And we keep getting a nut, like a new innovation of this move, the picking the puck up off the ice, the little cross, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I love it. I love that early on, it was almost like hockey purists, like didn't like it. This is going to, oh, no, oh no, don't, don't let that. Or like pe- players get mad when a guy scores something like that. I love that guys are finding new ways to use it. And we always talk about, Oh, finding new ways to score in the game. Like, oh, we've got to t- make the goalie pads a little smaller. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. How about guys just find new ways to score? And that's what Trevor Zegers, uh, Shvechnikov in, in Carolina, guys are finding new ways to score. And the Hurricanes were in Winnipeg for the first time since Shvechnikov did the lacrosse goal for the second time um, last night. So that was kind of a funny coincidence. It's like, okay, this is evolving now. Now he has to answer Zegris, but Zegris is awesome. I've been following his career for a while and he has a bunch of these tricks up his sleeve. So I can't wait to see what's next. It's really incredible what these guys can do who have grown up in kind of the, what is it? The Hey Barber era now where like guys are doing crazy things skill things oh hey barber's great if you don't follow him on, on uh, social media follow because this is the kind of stuff exactly like sarah said the funny thing is if you remember when zegras had exactly zero goals in the nhl he tried scoring his first nhl goal with a michigan which is like you need a set of hockey pucks to be doing that because usually you're just trying to get that first goal but you know the nhl's been around over a hundred years and we're, we're i think now more than ever we're getting players with innovations and creativity and, and, and things we've never seen before. And it's happening all the time because of that, because of maybe like Sarah called it the Hey Barber era. I mean, I remember the first time I saw the Michigan and I've interviewed Steve DeBus, who was the goalie who was in net for that. And that to me was the same thing. I remember seeing that saying, holy shit, what did I just see? Then we went through an era where the Michigan became a little bit I don't want to say redundant, but it wasn't as impressive as it was. Then we started seeing players changing it a bit, not bending over, flipping it on the back of their blade. But this is just, this is just incredible. I don't know. Do, do you guys think this is something they practiced a lot? Because even Zegras was shocked. He put his hands on his head like, what did I just do? At the end of the Hurricanes practice, they try it literally every day. And it's like Natchez sometimes, sometimes Trocheck, and they're all just really? like having a great time. But they'll, it's not during practice. Rod Brindamore rolls his eyes because it's Rod Brindamore and it's hilarious. <laughs> but they'll be on the ice for like 15 minutes after practice just doing it and having fun. And I think that's just kind of where it stems from. It's guys having fun. And then it's like, wait, we've done this so much. Maybe we can. I saw Connor McDavid attempt it last night too. Yeah. I guess everybody was just going for it last night. I don't know. Yeah. I, I hope this becomes a thing where you're seeing it once a game, not a goal like that, but players trying to pick the puck off up off the ice with their stick in that fashion. Like in beer league ones that I do, guys will try it like where I play, guys will try it on a breakaway. They'll be coming down. They'll try to pick yeah. it up and just spin and, and throw it in. Now, you know, I don't think expect to see that in the NHL, but I think there are other ways to use it other than maybe even just behind the net. I hope this continues to evolve and we just start seeing crazy way plays with guys picking the puck up and, and throwing it to each other. It just creative creativity in any way, shape or form. I mean, I, I you know, I think of Pavel Datsuk, some of the things he used to try, like even the, the little flick on a shootout. And it's funny because these things take such guts to do because even the lacrosse goal, We've seen many times where people pick it up and the defender just whacks a stick and he looks terrible, right? It looks either it's you're on Sports Center for the next, you know, 24 hours or people are just mocking you. And I guess you 
do need, you know, Sarah, you mentioned Brindamore rolling his eyes. You need kind of a green light to do stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and not every coach is is open to something like that because it's not necessarily how high of a percentage play is what Zegras did. Like, it, it's not a high percentage. He's flicking the puck over the net, actually, after picking it up and hoping Sonny Milano can whack it out of the air. Like, that's a low percentage shot. And they kind of have the green. I'm assuming they had the green light to do it. It's getting the puck to the front of the net, though, just in a different way. <laughs> and um, who was it? Sonny Milano was screaming, Michigan, Michigan, Michigan. So he was egged on for sure. Is it the Michigan or the lacrosse? Let's just end it right here. I've heard I both. asked Svechnikov. I said, are we calling it the Svechnikov now or the lacrosse or what are we doing? He goes, the Michigan in his, in his <laughs> great accent because he <laughs> played in the USHL in Michigan. So he know better than anybody. If he's going to say that, we're going with that. Yeah, that's... Uh Still one of the most – It's that almost just exploded Twitter last night too. It was just huge. Um, and also this morning I saw on Instagram, Michael B. Jordan t- sent it out. He said, I don't, follow, <laughs> I don't follow hockey a lot, but this is incredible. So when wow, Adonis Creed is out status. there yeah, <laughs> tweeting it out, that's, that's a big deal. So uh, from something that was just so much fun to watch to a, a terrible transition, but I have no other way to do it, a scary moment – uh, in Chicago, Jacob Truba uh, with the hit on Jujar Kara. Um, you could argue whether or not the hit was clean. We're going to hear from the league either way on that. But one of those scary moments where everybody goes silent. It reminded me a little bit of the Tavares you know, incident in game one against the Habs. But if I can bitch and moan for a minute here, when someone is seriously injured, and I mean seriously injured, not knock the wind out of them, not like, oh, you know, he's just kind of, uh, you know, he's just hurt a little bit. Can we stop all the fighting and attend to the guy who needs to be stretchered off? I mean, I was watching it going, are you guys kidding me? Nobody was paying attention to the injured player. Um, you actually had Ryan Strom of the Rangers going, guys, stop and get the stretcher out. I don't know about you guys, but th- th- it's getting to a point where it's like, I know hockey culture dictates. You hit our guy. We need to fight you. But it, last night was out of control. Jesse, I see you're nodding. I, I'm assuming you're agreeing with me right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, and I'm trying to remember, I think it was in the playoffs last year. There was another one where a guy was laying like unconscious on the ice and there was a person trying to like hold the players that were fighting each other back off of him as his yeah. body was like on the ice. And it's like, I c- completely agree. Like, yeah, even if, even if you want to go down the route of like, we need to get you back for this, we need to fight. Just wait till the next whistle. And then as soon as yeah. the whistle starts, you can drop the gloves and do it. Let this guy get off the ice and, and make sure he's all right. Yeah. Maybe that's your second reaction to fight. Your first one is to literally make sure he's okay. I know things are happening fast, but that anybody could see that was really, really scary. Maybe check if he's okay. And it. I just saw an update that he is and he's expected to make a full recovery. Thank God he's had concussion issues in the past. So that's really, really great to hear. I've watched the hit quite a few times this morning. And when you watch it in regular motion, you're thinking it's a fast game. It's a hit. He had the puck. When you watch it in slow motion, you're seeing head contact first. Do you guys think he's going to get any supplementary supplementary discipline? Probably. Um, I, I think a lot of the times they they rule these things based off of like the reaction or in this case, the the, the like injury. what happened after the hit, which was horrible. Um, I think if he would have got right up and skated away after that exact same hit, probably not getting suspended, but I would say they probably do. Yeah, 
completely agree. That's basically what I would say verbatim. It's really the way they look at things these days is kind of what happened after and what the reaction is, which I don't know if that's right, but that's what happens. So here we go. I've already got against it for years. I yeah. really don't. For me, it's about intent on the yeah. hit. If When somebody does, and I'm not saying this is a case, I don't think it's necessarily a dirty hit. It might be a bit on the predatory side, but when someone does a dirty hit, if the person who got hit isn't injured, we should just count ourselves lucky as opposed to saying, well, no, no, he didn't get injured. So guess what? We're not going to suspend the guy. It never made any sense to me. Uh, I was reading Scott Powers piece uh, that you tweeted out, Sarah, and I thought it was really well, well written. And um, he talked about the fighting afterwards because hockey, as we talk about hockey culture, we bring this up a lot. Uh, Riley Stillman ended up fighting Truba. He ended up falling to the ice after the fight without a helmet on and almost could have got injured. And he brought up the fact that hockey, fighting is we're at a point now where fighting is not worth the risk. Are you guys in that camp, Sarah? Well, it reminds me of the Tavares situation where the interaction was like, hey, man, I know you didn't mean to do this, but I have to fight you. It's like, what? This is as I don't know the word I'm trying to look for here. It's just stupid. Kind of the word you're looking for yeah. is stupid. Yeah, exactly. It's just yeah. esoteric. Like, it's just that's so there's no reason for that. Why don't we all just wish this guy well? We know it was relatively accidental or X, Y, and Z. I think. I'm not ready to totally phase out fighting, but maybe that's just how I loved watching the game growing up. But I maybe I should stop being a dinosaur. What do you think, Jesse? Yeah, I, I'll be completely honest with you guys. I am. It's tough for me. Like I yeah. half of me wants to say fighting should be gone. And I see so many reasons why fighting should be gone. But like Sarah said, like I watched hockey growing up and like there are times where like when your favorite yeah. team, the guy, your best guy gets hit and it's like. Someone needs to get that guy. Like, I totally understand why players like fight, like, like the fighting, the players that do. I understand why people that want to keep fighting in the game want it. But I also see that, you know, like good players shouldn't be breaking their hands in fights. And, and guy, and like when guys' helmets come off and they hit the ice, like it's super dangerous. I, I don't know. I, I do agree with Sarah that like the, the, the instance where it's like, Look, I know you didn't mean to do this, but I have to fight you. Like, that's the dumbest that's thing I've ever what heard. What is this? The WWE? Yeah. <laughs> like, like yeah. where, whereas, like, if a guy is genuinely upset that a guy made a dirty hit and he's so mad that he just can't control himself and he wants yeah. to fight this guy, like, th I guess that is when fights should happen. I don't know why I'm like, <laughs> it's a weird thing to define. But I don't yeah. think no, it's that weird. weird. I, guess I don't that's think it's that I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm in the exact same boat. It's the only, it's maybe the only hockey opinion I'm so on the fence on because mm -hmm. I'm with you. Think about what fighting is in hockey. It's bare knuckle boxing on ice with blades. It's the stupidest thing ever. I get it. But I also understand emotion. I also understand the brotherhood that is a team and wanting to, you know, protect your teammates. But the, the fight after the Tavares incident was the stupidest fight in NHL history. It was so ridiculous. It was accidental. It was clearly accidental. Um and we've gotten to a point now where, like Sarah talked about when you when you were growing up watching fighting, I did the same thing. But to me, it was exactly what Jesse said. Somebody does something dirty or outside of the boundary of the rules and you need to, um, you know, stick up for your teammate. We're at a point now where a good, clark, hard, clean hit means you've got to fight. And that's what's making fighting ridiculous. I, I did a story recently on Braden McNabb's hip checks because, man, he throws a hell of a hip <laughs> check. Just incredible. Just flattens guys. And, like, those yeah. are cl very clean hits, like, that are nowhere near the head. They're, they're lower yeah. body hits. And 
I was talking to Dylan Coglin about it and I was like, you're his defensive partner. Like what, what, tell me your perspective when he lands one of those, like what's going through your mind? He goes, well, the first thing is I look around to make sure no one's trying to fight me because that's <laughs> the first thing that comes to my mind. Every time you hit someone is we're all going to fight. And it's like, again, that's Jeez. ridiculous that that's what he's thinking. Yeah. It used to be a protection thing. You know what I mean? It used to be a, you don't do this to our star player. It can't be a dirty play. But again, now we're getting to a point where it, it whether it's accidental or not, it, it's, it ends up being a fight. So we're going to have to wait and see if there's any discipline there. Good to hear from Sarah there that uh, he's doing well. Um, last week was all about Montreal cleaning house. I joked off the top that <laughs> Sarah's happy because it seems like for years we've been talking about when are the Canucks going to clean house. And boy, did they ever do it this week. Travis Green out. Jim Benning out. Bruce Boudreaux in as head coach. Scott Walker in as assistant coach. And uh, in their first game... It's kind of one of those age-old, you know, I know we talk about gambling a lot on this show. Well, not a lot, but enough. Um, you always bet on the team with the new coach because they want to impress their new coach. And as the fans were saying in Vancouver, Bruce, there it is, as if it's <laughs> 1993. Um, Sarah, are you relieved that this is finally over? Yeah, the scene in Vancouver said it all. It was like the opposite of the 2011 rallies and or riots, shall I say. <laughs> it was... A very cheerful scene. And I, I think it is a reoccurring pool of people who get hired for these positions. But I do think Bruce Boudreaux is a great guy. For uh, That being said, he's a great guy for the role. I like that. And good for the Canucks. Like, Jesus, they finally listened to the podcast. What do you think, Jesse? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank God they did that. I think... I agree with you about the the rotating cast of coaches. Like it's it's kind of ridiculous, but also like hockey teams should stop firing good coaches, and then like <laughs> I think less of that would happen. Like I like I was the same Gerard Gallant here in Vegas. Like he gets hired in New York, and lo- a lot of people are like, "Oh, another retread," and I'm like, "Yeah, good good for Turk. He's a great coach." And like same here with you with Boudreaux. Um, very good coach. He probably deserves to to have a job in the NHL. Um, but I do agree with the overall sentiment that we need to try some new coaches. Um. Like Chicago, we were talking about like, where do they go? I think Rocky Thompson um, is a guy who should absolutely have a chance to coach in the NHL. He coached in Chicago for the Wolves. I covered him. They were the Golden Knights affiliate for a couple years. Now he's an assistant in San Jose um, with all these jobs opening up. I'd like to see someone new get a chance. Rocky Thompson will be my pick, but I think there are plenty of people out there that deserve a shot at being a first time NHL coach. Um, Francesco Aquilini had a press conference and he used the quote, we were too patient and it made me think of Sarah when, when he said that, but um, I don't know if I've ever remembered a time where we've had one, two, three, four teams with interim GMs. I mean, you've got Anaheim, you've got Chicago, you got Montreal and you got Vancouver. Um, And all of them are kind of saying, we don't want to rush into this decision. And I know they've got people ahead of them who are making the decisions for them. But when you're talking about the future of your team, having four interim GMs is almost comical. Like, I don't remember a time being that many all at once. Neither. It'll be really interesting to see if they make moves, the extent of their moves, and then who is in the carousel. Like, I know Mark Bergevin's name is being thrown out there again. I'm just like, that's one where I'm like, why? <laughs> why? It's going to be interesting at the deadline. Like, if if what if these four teams aren't... Don't, haven't hired GMs by the time the deadline rolls around. Like, do they, are they just in f- roster freeze mode? Like, or is the owner trying to like make a trade? Like, how do those teams operate if without a GM when you come, like, right now it's fine. Like, the GM doesn't, like, 
yeah, there are things that GM should be doing right now, scouting and, and all that, but th- you can get by without one. But then c- there's going to be a time in the season where you need a GM. Yeah. And that's why it's weird. And not only that, you got to wonder if other GMs are eager or reluctant to deal with an interim GM. You know what I mean? Do they, does, does a, a Ken Holland think I can pick the pocket of a Stan Smeal? No problem because I've got much more experience or is it like, uh, you know what? I want to see what shakes down in Vancouver before I start proposing trades or proposing, you know, something. It's, it's an interesting situation. And not only that, but I think like you're going to eventually hire a GM. And do you want to make a couple trades that the new guy you hire is like, why in the hell did you do that right before yeah. you brought me in? Like, I would never have made those two trades. Like, that's it. And that's what I mean. You're, you're dealing with the future of your franchise. Uh, future of the Philadelphia Flyers right now does not include LMV. Oh, he got uh, the pink slip as well. Came after a 7 1 loss and their eighth straight loss. So, uh, Michelle Terrian also fired Mike Yo, the interim coach. Uh, they lost seven uh, five to the Abs in their in their first game back, and I think this is more of a an underachieving firing. I mean, you look at this team, some of the moves they made in the offseason, You had to expect more from the Flyers, right, Jesse? Yeah, I think part of it is like they made that run, right? The bubble year, the year everything was up in Edmonton. Yeah. They made that run. They got that one seed, um, and and we all kind of thought, and they were young, right? Like they made the, the that run with a ton of young players, and we all thought, wow, this Flyers team might be really good for like the next like 10 years, five, six years at least, and then it just kind of disappeared. And what they saw out of those players that season, they kind of all regressed together. Obviously, Carter Hart is a big part of that, and he gets a lot of the blame, but I think it's it's all the young players on that team that have just not been what they showed that one year. And it's and, and I don't know if it's we keep saying like underperformed, like maybe they just overperformed that year and like all the things went right. And I, I honestly don't know because that one year seems to be the outlier at this point. Wow. That was like a galaxy brain moment. Maybe they did overperform <laughs> that one year. Like, I think you're right. And I do think Carter Hart, obviously the goalie takes the brunt of everything, but he's still so young. I think maybe they might have put him in a few years too, not a few years, but maybe a year too soon. And maybe it'll all work out, but they are still so young that it's kind of hard to say what exactly it is, but tough to see in maybe like Claude Giroux's twilight, you know? By the way, I, I saw a crazy stat with Rasmus Ristolainen. When they hire this coach, it will be his eighth coach in nine seasons. Jeez. That's a lot of people to try to impress. Every t- every time a new coach comes in, you're trying to impress them. You're trying to earn minutes. You're trying to do everything else. It's like, oh my God, how many guys can I do this to? Go ahead, Jesse. I, I was going to say with Carter Hart, I th- this is my opinion on Carter Hart. I think young goalies, the, the hardest thing for a goalie coming into the league is consistency. Like I think all goalies even when they're like not at their peak performance, they're still kind of figuring their way out, can have huge, they can have huge games and then they'll have bad games. And I think most goalies, it takes them a a while to break in the league, right? It's usually like 24, 25. And to me, those goalies got their inconsistencies out in games no one was watching. Like in the AHL, in the ECHL, wherever it was, I think that they... All these goalies had those inconsistencies. They just happened when no one was watching and nobody cared. And if if this star goalie has a bad game in the AHL, like no one even, oh, well, he gave up some goals last night. I didn't watch the game. I just saw the score or whatever. Whereas Carter Hart, we're seeing him fight through his inconsistencies as a young goalie, like on center stage in the NHL where everyone is living and dying with the results. Like to me, that's the difference. I think he still, to me, can be a 
a tremendous goalie in this league. We're just seeing him go through the what a young goalie goes through on a he- much bigger microscope than we normally do. You, you forgot one thing in there. You said in the NHL for the Philadelphia Flyers, a right. team that hasn't had a legit number one guy since maybe Ron Hextall for crying out loud. I mean, the pressure that comes with playing in net for Philadelphia is is pretty crazy that we've been saying that they this team has been one piece away and that piece wears the big pads on the ice for a lot of years. And Carter Hart is someone, and like you said, Sarah, that they brought him in early because this is somebody who we've heard so much about and the promise and the, the ceiling is so high that maybe, yeah, maybe it was rushed a bit or maybe like you said, Jesse, usually this stuff is not, you know, what we see. Like I had him, I still kind of do on my Team Canada as a third goaltender for the Olympics because I look at it as one of those future picks where you're not going to play, kid, but we want some experience with Team Canada for four years from now. And I'm starting to go back and forth on this, but also could have a lot to do with just the way the team is playing in front of them. So we'll see how that coaching change goes. Um, uh, I hate bitching about refs. I absolutely hate it, uh, but I'm going to do a little bit of it. I don't know how much of that Leafs Jets game you watched this week, but there were like three or four things that I'm sitting there going, the ref is right there. How are they missing it? We saw Pierre-Luc Dubois just absolutely mug Austin Matthews and they got coincidental minors. We saw Neil Pionk's uh, neon neon Rasmus Sandin gets him a two game suspension, but wasn't good enough for a two minute penalty, even on the ice. And we saw Jason Spezza with that neon um, Pionk and got a six game suspension. Again, no call. Here's my question. And it's been something that's been brought up a lot. Do NHL referees need to be more accountable? Do we need to hear from NHL referees afterwards? Do we need people explaining to us their thought process behind calls, no calls, what they're doing? I think we're getting to that point. Sarah? Well, Rob, that'll be $25,000. And I think that they want to be. I've talked to a few of them and they want to be held accountable. It's I think it's the league, not them, to be honest. And I think this is something Rod Brindamore has been saying for a while. And I think that might have sparked his fine. But he wants an overhead ref who has access to video and is seeing what's going on. And like maybe one in the box, just like to be able to see replay things in real time and be able to make these calls. And I think some of the refs do want to speak out after to explain themselves, but they're not allowed to. So I don't. I don't want to put the blame on these refs, especially when we know they've been told certain things from the league that they should make makeup calls in the past like that. We've had footage of Colin Campbell saying that to them. So I think the league needs to be held accountable and they're telling us not to hold them accountable. They're telling coaches to shut up. So it's really frustrating. What do you think, Jesse? Yeah, I I agree with you that like holding the referees accountable in terms of interviewing them after or, or their, them speaking after, I think it helps everyone else because it, we're holding them accountable. And like this referee knows that when he makes that call, he's got to answer to it after the game. But I also think it helps the referees. Like Sarah mentioned, I think a lot of times if we talk to them after the game, they would have an explanation and we'd say, oh, okay. Makes sense. Yeah, like, I get it. Yeah. Like the, yeah. you're the, the, I mean, they're better at this than we are, right? Like We have to assume these guys have been doing this their whole life. Like they are better at this than we are. There are going to be things we don't see that they do see and, and that they're, they're right there on the ice in the middle of it. I think there are going to be times where if it became a regular thing that, that they spoke to the media after or if, or even if it was just on a request basis, I think there would be times where they would explain 
their the reasoning for a call or their reasoning for not making a call and we'd all say all right that makes a little more sense and i think just that open communication would make the 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 dynamic a little different i think as long as gary bettman's the commissioner it ain't happening yeah um i one of the first things he did when he became commissioner if you remember took all the names off the back of the referees and linesmen's jerseys when i was a kid we knew all the referees names gary bettman becomes commissioner he took it off they used to have like part of like hockey cards. They had hockey cards with referees. They stopped doing all that. They want the referees to be this kind of thing that you don't really necessarily see. And I don't, I think we're at the point now where, you know, other sports do it. You see it in baseball. They need to explain. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, they're human beings. They're not robots. This isn't balls and strikes. This is, this is a situation where you've got to be able to say, uh, the reason Austin Matthews got two extras because I saw him butt end the guy right before or something. Right. Yeah. I, I need something. I saw that. Play, and like I said, I hate complaining about referees because I think we so often watch a replay from 22 different angles in slow motion and go, terrible call. Well, we're on our couch doing this. They get to see it once and it's the fastest game on earth. So yeah. I, I hate complaining about referees. And I also don't know why a referee would ever want to be a referee, because if you do a great job, no one says a word. If you make one mistake, everyone's all over you. Um, but I think we need some more explanation. I think I, even even I'd settle for a statement from said referee, as opposed to like, a, you don't need to throw them to the wolves and say, hey, go to this press conference. I'd settle for s- controversial calls. Here you go. This is what I was thinking. When you, yeah, I like that. when you really, really think about it, the censorship helps nobody except the NHL. So just think about that one. But does it, does it help the NHL? Yeah, because they aren't, because then the refs might say something that would, they need more technology, which they do to be able to, in my opinion, to make better calls and they aren't kind of getting it. I don't know the way the NHL has done officiating hasn't changed and it hasn't caught up with the times. That's my opinion. I, yeah, but I also think if, if there was a little more uh, accountability and a little more, I think, I think we would also sympathize with referees more. Yeah, exactly. No, that's what I'm saying. So that hurts because then we look at the NHL and they're like, Oh, they're to blame, not the refs. (laughs) I get it. But I, you know, there are times where again, it's a very fast game. If a referee came in afterwards and says, guys, I fucked up. I missed it. Yeah. I missed it. I missed it. Then you go, okay, let's move on. It's like when someone cuts you off on the road and you want to give them the finger and then you look at them and they're like, yeah, sorry. You go, okay, I'm not angry with you anymore. You know what I mean? They're it's just humanized. one of those things. Yeah. They're humanized. Absolutely. Yeah. But at that, that game really pushed me over the edge and I have no rooting interest for either of those two teams. And I was just like, what is going on here? Uh, what's going on on the show is Sarah and I had an opportunity to speak to Shana Goldman, the newest member of The Athletic. Uh, a little earlier on, we'll play that interview. She's going from being a full-time Rangers person to mostly Devils person while still doing Rangers, and she's also covered the Islanders. How do you think that makes people in that state feel? We'll talk to her about that and a whole lot more right after the break. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, so our next guest actually started her latest piece on The Athletic with the sentence, today is a pretty cool day. And I thought that was a great way to do it because it's a pretty cool day for us because she has officially joined The Athletic full time to cover... The New Jersey Devils. I know you don't think of this person as a New Jersey Devils cover, but you got to get used to it. Shana Goldman joining us on the Wednesday Roundtable. Thanks for doing this, Shana. Thanks for having me. Shana Ice Cube Goldman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's start with that because I know most people when they, they, you know, most hockey fans, when they think of your name, they think Rangers. Um, what's it like making this transition? Not only for, you know, people who follow you on a regular basis, but you're now going to be covering a new team. It's different. Um, you know, I'm, I know the Rangers like the back of my hand, so I'm glad I still get to cover them too. But it definitely, I, I can see the responses of like, oh, you're covering two rivals. How can you do it? Like, how can you be unbiased? And it's like, I do not care for either team. I don't, you know, I root for watching cool things and seeing, you know, good teams and things like that. You know, like I want to have fun watching, but I don't root for anyone. So I could care less. And when they play each other, I don't care. I just want it to be like an interesting game. So I'm not sitting there like bored thinking, what am I going to write about this? I saw a lot of the vitriol online and I and I don't understand it because I would think somebody who's covering rivals would have a better take on what's going on in the rivalry. I, 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 I look at it like you've got your hands in both pies and you're able to set up certain things in a better way. I don't understand how, how <laughs> Devils fans are angry, are angry and how Rangers fans are angry. Yeah, I think one of the biggest ones is like I saw Devils fans asking like they're still going to have to see Ranger stuff in their feed, you know, especially if the game's on and I'm like clipping video from both. And the best I can say is like just mute the hashtag, you know, NYR and you won't have to see those tweets. But, you know, that's the best I can do to separate it. But I think it's good to see a little of everything and it gives you better perspective on your team. Like the hardest thing I think is being so like for me at least is being too focused in on one team that I don't have a good enough perspective on like everything else that's going on and that's something I always try to have because I do like writing national pieces too so I think that's what I'm trying to accomplish but I guess they could tell me otherwise if you I, I would maybe understand the vitriol if it was anybody but you and these people are going <laughs> to realize the way you cover the game is so unique and it's so you can get in depth about any team they're gonna love it like can you kind of describe what how you approach coverage so i hate every team equally and i like to be mean <laughs> to them so i like to find things that they do wrong and pick at them but no really like i i uh i like relying on video because i think the best way to show what we're seeing on the ice is to literally show what we're talking about and i like to use data to back it up i think that Anything I say, I want something to back it up and support it. I want to have evidence for what I'm saying. So if I'm saying, you know, this is the best possession team in the league, here's the metrics I can use to show it. So, you know, I just try to have a reason for everything I do and try to look at it maybe a little differently or, you know, with a different perspective because I am a huge nerd. So, you know, data and video are the way to go. And um, we see like Allison Lucan doing this for the Seattle Kraken. And, and she is like the gold standard of data-driven storytelling. So anything that we can do to follow in her path and keep doing that for more teams, I think is the way to do it. Hold on a second. 
People who believe in numbers and people who believe in the eye test can't be the same person, can they? I'm led to believe that it's either the eye test or analytics. We can't just. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a breath of fresh air. My eye test is watching the spreadsheet. That's my eye test. I watch the spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, but your, but your eye test is also showing us video, which I love. I mean, yeah. I, you, you know, there's, it's been that age-old argument ever since the first stat was ever made: was do you rely on numbers or do you rely on the eye test? And I love the fact that your 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 work kind of relies on both. Yeah, like. It's that's the best criticism you can hear is like, oh, you should watch the game nerd. And it's like, okay, I probably just watch this game six times over versus you like I'm watching plays like the other day I was working on a story about Dawson Mercer and there were plays I was trying to find with his takeaways. And I'm sitting here watching the same click uh, 10 times and then deciding which I wanted to use to show it. I I'm like every little frame freezing it to see if I like the positioning of things like you know, we watch the game so much to figure out what we want to talk about. And sometimes like the data does give us that question first, you know, we might look at something and think we saw a play that was unbelievable. This player must be good. And then we see their numbers telling us something else. And it's like, well, now we have a question. Let's explore it with both. Do you think you'd branch out and like try something new with maybe interviewing a few players? Are you ready for that? I feel like you'd be so good at it. Yeah, I definitely do want to like try doing different things and mix it up. And I think Working with a different team kind of is like a new challenge. So this is a yeah. better way to get to know them and, you know, get into like the nitty gritty. It's definitely like when I got to cover the Islanders a bit, I think it was two seasons ago. I was looking at things I had never done before. You know, like I had never done just a special teams breakdown. So I had systems analysis books and I, I'm like studying their power play in a different way than I was used to doing because it's not something I know like the back of my hand and like my bias is coming through that, you know. So I think it just this will push me to do some different things. You know, before you came on, we were just chatting and Sarah said, she's the hardest worker <laughs> I know. And what you just said kind of described that. <laughs> um, just when you've got a new challenge like this, kind of like going along the lines of what Sarah was asking you, but is it exciting? It's, it's, it's almost clean slate. And I know when you cover the Rangers, you're going to cover a lot of the Devils. And the same if you're covering the Islanders, you know, you know this team better than if suddenly you're shipped off to cover the Ducks or something. But um is it fun thinking clean slate, new job, let's let's go right, you know, head first into it? Absolutely. Um, that's like the most fun part of it is like, what can I do? And the nice part is the similarities though. like, you know, this is a rebuilding team and I know that well, but it's a new challenge to completely direct it to a different team and try to use like what I know plus what I'm going to learn. And the fun part is I get to do more national stories too. So that's going to be like a new challenge to look at things differently than I did before for different teams. Let's talk some devils. You mentioned the Mercer piece. Um, just making the team was huge for him. Now suddenly we're talking Calder Trophy. Uh, I mean, and I know that's just what happens when certain players get injured and just, you know, we hear it all the time. It's not just in hockey or sports. Somebody's given an opportunity and they run with it. I mean, this is the perfect case of that, isn't it? Yeah. Like the thing for him was it's not just making the team and it's not just playing center at the NHL level because we see so many center prospects come in and maybe they spend some time at wing, which sometimes helps them get used to the pace, get used to the defensive responsibilities and whatnot. And he didn't just come in and play center. Now he's playing center where he doesn't have that security of one of the team's best ahead of him. It's not like, you know, he could play in a third pair, a third line role, really sheltered. He's playing legitimate minutes on an, on a team that doesn't have as much support and he's thriving you know he's doing everything you could want to see and obviously there's a uh, sustainability question and for so many reasons he's probably not going to produce at the pace that he has so far you know like there's outscoring expectations by so much their shooting percentages sky high you know while he's on the ice but he's showing like the fundamentals that you want to see in a player so 
even though he's going to move down in the lineup, most likely, unless they put him on wing so he can stay in the top six with their top six centers. You know, he got off to a really encouraging start. So now it's just what he does from here. We've talked a lot about Jack Hughes on this podcast, and we've talked a lot about his personality. And I know personality is not something you can quantify with enough. There's no analytic that talks about personality, but uh, how much are you looking forward to covering this guy on a regular basis? I mean, we talked just about the, the, the tossing of the stick and the big smile and some of the things he does on social media. Um, to me, being able to cover someone like that on a regular basis seems like it'd be a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely. I think anytime you can see personality in a player, like, it, it adds, it, it makes it more fun. He makes the game more fun. You know, we look at a player like Trevor Zegers and we're watching everything he does on the ice to make it more fun. And then you listen to his interview afterwards and it just makes him more likable. It makes him, you know, it adds a human element to it that sometimes maybe we do forget, especially if we're looking so closely at data and video, you know, there's a whole other side of it. But this is a young player who has a personality and that's something we've been looking for in the league for how long for players to show that. And he's willing to this early in his career when he could be, you know, the cornerstone of a franchise, I think it's super exciting. If you had to pick a stat to quantify personality, what would it be? Vibes per 60. I want to know if they boost the vibes in the locker room. So like a player like, (laughs) you know, you look at, like, that's the thing though. Like we could look at a player like Ryan Reeves in New York and every metric is going to tell us he's not very good on the ice. We know that, especially at this part in his career, there is no question that he's had an influence in that locker room. You can see, the players excited on the ice. You could see, you know, young players being mentored and feeling, even if they feel that like level of protection, which is something, you know, I'm not one to say a deterrent is the right thing. But I think the biggest thing is they have like a leader, on, you know, on and off the ice. So if someone can boost the vibes in the locker room, boost the vibes on the ice, you're having a good time. And, you know, there's like a good feeling on the bench. I think that's going to help everyone out. You could see when teams lose that, you look at what's going on in Vancouver and everyone's struggling on and off the ice. The vibes are bad and it's showing. Yeah, that's a cr- – oh, man. Because I've said that a lot about captains. You know, how do we know certain people are good leaders? Like Mark Messier is looked upon as the greatest leader of all time, right? How do we know that? Because people told us. That's the only – that's all we have for it. Um, I would, And that's what maybe, you know, something like an HBO 24-7 kind of busted the, the, the wall down. We got to see a little bit more of who's a good leader or not. But um, I've always been a big believer in, in somebody in the room could make a huge difference. We just don't get to see it. Like leadership per 60 would be <laughs> nice too. But I mean, just, just those are the things that it would be fun if we had a number for. But those are the things that people like you guys have to tell us because you cover the team, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there also has to be that like perfect balancing act of like not being distracted by the fact that someone's like an, an, an amazing person and the best, you know, influence but if they're terrible on the ice, like you need to find the right balance. And that's like the toughest part of it, because of course, those are the players you don't want to break it to like, sorry, you're not playing tonight or you're not playing a mainstay role. So it's just figuring out how to balance their personality and what they bring to the room, the locker room, the bench, the ice, you know, versus what they actually do on the ice. And that's the trickiest part of it. So it's like, as much as we could look at a player and go, they should probably never play because they're terrible. Like we do have to consider everything. It's just finding the right balance of everything. That usually comes later in the career too. You mean, you look at like a Thornton or like even a Yager at the end of his NHL playing career. We saw a lot of that. Um, Sometimes when there's a trade, you see a good player going from a good team to a team that's on the outside looking in playoff wise. I kind of feel like you're like that. Unfortunately, you covered the Rangers and right now 17, four and three second in the Metro. And then you've got the devils on the outside looking in. Do the devils make the playoffs is basically my question. And no, you're shaking your head. She's shaking her head. (laughs) No, there's no chance. There's no chance they're making the playoffs, but that's okay. Like that's the biggest thing. Like, 
you look at the Rangers the last couple of years, they came close. And I think because they came close uh, two seasons ago, there are expectations for the next year when truly, if they didn't make the playoffs, it was okay when you consider like their actual path. You know, rebuilding, even if you get super lucky and speed it up like the Rangers did, it, it's not a perfect straight line to success. And it's it's building blocks every single year. We saw that with like the Toronto Maple Leafs too. They made the playoffs and they didn't do anything to better their playoff chances one of those seasons because they knew like, this is great. This is something we can use and we can learn from, but we're not going to suddenly change everything to reach it. So the Devils are, are obviously one of the bottom teams in the Metropolitan. It really is okay. They could move players at the deadline if they wanted to. And even if they don't, and they just keep moving forward from here, like they have a good traje- trajectory if they stick to it. And they, they definitely shouldn't be a team that does anything reactionary. Like, oh, maybe we have a shot to make it. Like, no, it doesn't work that way. You know, not this year. And that's fine. And maybe not next year, but if they could you know, in the next couple seasons, start pushing for the playoffs and be a team that's in the mix. Like that's the next stepping stone for them. And they're not there yet. It's always a tough sell though. You know, I always find oh, yeah. rebuilds are such a tough sell because the the consensus is a rebuild takes five years. That's what you always hear, you know, three to five years sometimes. And if it's just not happening by year three or four, well, people say, well, we're rebuilding. Well, how long is that rebuild going to take? And I'm like, you know, what's, what's the attitude like in the Jersey area right now? Are, are they... Because I would think that Devils fans are somewhat knowledgeable about the game and what a rebuild is. Are they saying exactly what you just said to us? Like, it's okay, be patient, stay on this trajectory? Well, from what I know so far, and like, I definitely don't have this completely down yet, but it seems like the biggest thing too is comparing directly to their rivals because they did start this at similar times. And I think that's the toughest part about a rebuild is if you're doing it and someone in your division is doing it at the same exact time. It's not like... You know, you start it after you see a team do it and thrive and you're like, okay, that's the path we want to take as well. Or on the other hand, you know, a team struggle to do it like the Sabres and, you know, that's in your mind too. They probably are encouraged by like the fact that the Rangers are doing it and seeing like this process can work, but they might also look at it and go, well, you know, it's slower than that. But the biggest difference is luck. You know, the Devils didn't have a player like Artemi Panarin sign with them as a free agent. They didn't get lucky with Adam Fox. And those are the two difference makers in New York. For New Jersey, they did get those high draft picks, though, and you're seeing them develop and seeing a player like Mercer come in maybe sooner than expected is like the best sign that things are working, but there's still like a ways to go there. Last question, perhaps the most important and the one I want to know the answer to. Uh, you've worked with Sarah Sivian before. How much of a prima donna is she? <laughs> she is incredible. She's the oh, MVP. No. It's like, no. <laughs> That's a nice way to say a diva. <laughs> No, not in the slightest. Sarah comes up with so many good ideas too. And like, like we, we had a flip cup tournament. That was her idea. And we raised, you know, $5,000 doing it. Not many people have those like creative ideas in a way to show her personality while she's doing it. You know, she's the best to work with. And I will happily team up with her any day of the week. And I'm sure we will be soon. So excited to have you on the team full time, Shana. It could not be more deserved. Thank you. Thanks for doing this, Shane. I appreciate it. Look forward to reading all your Devils and Ranger stuff. You're not completely <laughs> going away from the Rangers, right? Right, right. Doing right. a little of everything. Little of everything, and you can get mad at her on Twitter. Thanks for doing this, <laughs> Shana. Thanks for having me. Stick around after the break. Your Twitter questions, you keep writing them. We'll keep reading them. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, time for your favorite part of the show and mine. We go to Twitter. Sarah always sends out that tweet. What do you want us to talk about? We got a few that uh, caught our attention. We'll start with uh, Iron Kaniac says, do you think the national hockey media would have made a bigger deal about Sveshnikov scoring the lacrosse goal twice if he had been a North American born player and or a player for a big market team? Sarah, I think it's only right we start with you. You know what? I feel like I'm kind of biased about this, but yes. Like, I was listening to ESPN last night, and they didn't mention Svechnikov when they were talking about Zegers, and they they mentioned the Michigan and nothing else about Svechnikov, and I was getting annoyed. I had a bone to pick because it was very cool that he was the first guy to do that in the NHL, and he did it twice, and I remember, and it might be because the Canes have a little bit of an obnoxious social media, which I guess we'll get into later, too, about everybody, but... I know Don Cherry at the time criticized him, I think, uh, for scoring the goal. And I know that was a big thing in Canada. And now it's like, oh, look at this awesome goal. And that always happens when you're the pioneer of something. But I, I, it might have something to do with being Russian and playing for the Hurricanes. I don't know. Do, do we have more objective people to step in here? First off, is that how you think Canadians sound? <laughs> Ooh, look at this goal. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes. Jesse, I'll let you I'll let you go in there. Maybe I'll hear your Canadian impression too. But I and like I agree with Sarah that there were people who like like Don Cherry who tried to minimize it, but I thought maybe it's just in my bubble on Twitter. I thought it got tons of attention. Um I don't know how it could have gotten more attention yeah, it when did. it happened. Like, and maybe that's just, maybe that's not, I'm not in Canada. I'm not watching them talk on TV. And <laughs> I, like, I'm, like, I'm not watching Sportsnet every night. So maybe Sportsnet and, the, and like those big national, like that's where hockey is at its biggest. I'm not watching that. So maybe they didn't cover it. But in my little bubble on Twitter and on Instagram, it was yeah. everywhere. They covered it. They covered it. I think some of the negative coverage was a little unwarranted. That's what I'll say. What do you right. think, Rob? And that's kind of what, I, yeah. And that's kind of what I was saying earlier, you right? You both need to get your asses to Canada and just enjoy hockey being punched you, punched in the face <laughs> every single day. Every time I hear you two or any American friend of mine talk about how it wasn't a big deal here makes me laugh because it was ginormous here. It I ended up doing like a five-minute feature on the lacrosse goal because of Sveshnikov's two goals. Like we, it, it just, it was huge because it's Canada and it's hockey. I understand it. The reason I think it didn't get, like you could, you would definitely argue that the Michigan goal by Mike Legg got way more attention even in the pre-social media era because we'd never seen it before. And that was 
the issue. I know we'd never seen it before in the NHL, but we'd seen the, the lacrosse goal. Crosby did it in junior. We'd seen it. So while it was cool, while it's impressive, while you got to pat it on the back, we'd seen it before. What Zegras did I say this every week. I've watched a billion hockey games. I've never seen it was cool. that before. I've seen players flick the puck over the net. I've seen players pick puck up on their stick and do something with it, but never that. That made me say, like Jesse said, holy shit, what did I just see? So I think that's why it didn't get um, as much attention. I do agree with Sarah, though, that there was more negative, right? Like, like, People are people still. There were still people out there that weren't accepting of picking pucks with up like that, and like that's not part of the game. Like that, like there was still that. Whereas at this point in time, I think that's completely gone away. Like I think everyone has just decided like that's awesome. Let's just let everyone do I'll it. I'll say part yeah. of that is you have to have the first person do something. So I don't know if it was just because he's a Russian-born player for the Canes because it's like Zegers plays for the Ducks. It's not like he plays for the Maple Leafs. So right. I'll give him that. Yeah, and and that thing, like I said, it it made its way across my little Twitter bubble pretty damn yeah. quick. Everyone I knew was uh, tweeting it out, which makes it just fly across uh, the internet. Um, something else that got a lot of attention is from Rivard NHL on Twitter. It says, hmm, I feel like a certain Tennessee team's social media did something dumb to warrant some thought-provoking discussion. Now, I will just get everybody up to speed and then we can comment on it. Um Someone on Twitter had uh, sent a tweet to the Preds uh, Twitter account saying, it's got to suck for your city's name to rhyme with Trashville, to which the Nashville Predators replied, I just know someone that lives in Detroit didn't say something. Uh, (laughs) Basically slamming the city of Detroit. A lot of people jumped on this, calling it racism, calling it offside, saying delete this tweet immediately. Uh, Jesse, we'll start with you on this one. (laughs) <laughs> what did you I, think? I don't know how that, I mean, I didn't seem, I, racism did not put, pop into my head on that tweet. Um, I thought it was just kind of making fun of the city of Detroit. I don't think teams' Twitter accounts should be making fun of entire cities, probably. Agreed, agreed. Um, I think, I don't think it goes any deeper than that. Like, it's just my opinion. I didn't think it was racist in any way. I didn't think it was like, this person needs to be fired, but it's more of a, like, what are you doing? Like, we're, this is this isn't your Twitter. Like that person that runs that account has their own personal account. Like, make jokes on your Twitter account about entire cities. Let's not do that with the Nashville Predators name next to it. Yeah, the thing about okay, where to begin? The thing about making fun of Detroit is that it is kind of inherently racist and classist because it's one of the bigger bigger cities in America that is like largely black, and they have gone through kind of tough times, but. I don't think the person behind the Twitter account had any uh, racial intent. And I know her and I know she's, she does not mean to be racist. But when you play with fires with these goddamn Twitter accounts, this is going to happen. Like, we need to stop being petty on Twitter uh, under NHL accounts. I just think, like, there's so many NHL accounts that act like teenagers. And it's just, you're bound to get burnt. Whether you mean it or not, people are going to hate you and they're looking for a reason to crap on you. And while I think people are sort of justified in because criticism of Detroit in kind of the way it was said is inherently racist and classist, even though it wasn't intended that way. It's kind of a microaggression. So I see why people took it that way. I don't think that was the intention, but I do think it's kind of a cocktail of these 
accounts acting like brats and being like haters yeah. for no reason and people wanting to be mad, you know? Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where you got to think. And I, I like to think that this is the way I think when it comes to Twitter, if there's even 1% of you that's saying, could this yeah. be taken the wrong way? You just don't do it. Yeah. yeah. You just don't do it. And, but now it feels like, and, and Sarah, you know this better than anybody, because I know you did your story on, on the hurricanes and what they've done with their social media. That makes news. When a social media account does something really funny slash clever, everyone's talking about it. Mm -hmm. So everyone I feel wants to put themselves in that spotlight of saying, hey, look how funny we are. Hey, look at this. We're But this one, I agree. I'll be with Jesse. I, I Racism, and maybe this is just me being a bit naive, racism never popped into my head. I did agree with what you and Sarah said that really we're attacking the city of Detroit, attack the team, attack whatever. The city of Detroit? Right. Like, Respond with, like, you root for a team that hasn't made the playoffs in X amount of, like... Fair <laughs> games. Absolutely <laughs> not, fair not games. Not in a city where there's too. a high crime rate. Yeah. Like, that's... Yeah. Like, yeah. It just, I'll say, that, yeah, maybe that was kind of a reach, but at the same time, for people who are from Detroit and people that love Detroit, it does feel like a personal attack and people crap on their city all the time. So... Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Just don't do that. Like, I'm just sick of these accounts, I guess. I don't know. I'm kind of over it's it. It's like that one friend who, you know, all your buddies will rag on each other, but the one friend who goes just a little bit too far and you go, mm. wait, that's, that's personal, man. Like that's, that's yeah. not just making fun of something for, for the fun of, uh, you know, just leave it alone. A laugh. That's personal. Like, leave, just it alone. leave it alone. Exactly. It's a touchy subject. Come on. Uh, last one we'll take here from Chase Tickle. <laughs> all right. Uh, Wants us to talk about the seemingly high amount of knee-on-knee -knee or leg-on-leg -leg hits so far this season. Um, yeah, it's interesting, like, even just using the leg. Like, that that Spezza, that Spezza knee on Pionk's head was was tough to watch, but so was the Pionk on Rasmus Sandin. Uh, do you guys feel like there's more than usual? I mean, I saw Ian Cole last night. Uh, he got a game misconduct. I don't think he'll get any more discipline, but that was like a knee-on-knee -knee situation. I don't know if there's been more. I don't know what to make of that either. Maybe just a coincidence. What do you think, Jesse? Yeah, I, I would say coincidence. If I'm trying to look for a reasoning, um, I would go towards the, like, they're being told not to hit each other in the head. And and we saw in football kind of a, a increase in AC, an, yeah. an increase in like ACL tears because guys are diving at knees um, on plays that they would normally go up high. And I think in hockey, you could see something similar in terms of guys are leading with their lower body towards each other, trying to avoid that head to head contact or shoulder to head contact and maybe that would lead to it. Like I said, I don't, I don't think that's what's happening. I think it's kind of just a coincidence and there just happened to be a rash of them all in a row right here. And then we might go months without having one. But I would say that if, if it does continue, that's kind of what I would look at is like, are these guys trying to make hits in a different fashion than they were trying to avoid getting suspended and all this? Yeah. I mean, it's one of the, I don't always like using this as an excuse, but it's the one type of hit sometimes that you can almost blame the speed of the game and a little bit of human reaction. Um, it happens. It happens. And at every level of hockey, you've, people you see people all of a sudden kind of miss a hit and go to do something. Then they went, oh, geez, did I really just do that? And again, when you slow it down, it can look a lot worse than it actually is. I'm not excusing knee on knee hits. You can destroy someone's career with a knee on knee hit. But it's the one rare one where you could tell um, sometimes it could honestly be just reaction and and 
and an accident. Spe- so sp- speaking of Twitter, I hate when these hits Twitter? happen. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I hate when these hits happen and it's like ev- the second after we have to say, is it dirty? Is it clean? What do they deserve? What's going to happen? Like, can I just watch this from a few angles before I weigh in? And it's always hilarious that the reporters and the fans of one team think it's dirty and the reporters and the fans of the other team think it's clean. Like, I wonder why. Just grinds well, my like gears. The coaches. The, co- the coaches post-game press conference after a dirty hit is so <laughs> comical. Coach yeah. of player who made the hit. Nah, it's a good clean hit. You know, that's the way he plays. And the coach of the team who got hit is like, I can't wait for the league to look at this. You're like, okay, guys, it's somewhere in the middle. So let's all regulate. But I know you got to. Whichever you Golden Knight player made the hit, Pete DeBoer calls them the cleanest player he's ever seen. All <laughs> yeah. of them, whichever one it was, whichever one it was, it's the cleanest hockey that. player I've ever seen. I get yeah, it from does. a coach. <laughs> I get it from a coach. You're trying to avoid suspension, but. They're they're lobbying on yeah, that one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, wraps up another show, guys. What are we working on this week, Jesse? We'll start with you. Uh, I I'm getting ready to getting ready for a trip to Boston and New York. I'm excited Woo! about it. Uh, longest, yeah. Sarah was happy for me. I've never been to Boston. Oh my God. Uh, one of the three. There are three NHL cities I have not been to, and Boston is one of them. So I'm excited for that. And then I what get are the to, other two uh, before you move on? What are the other two? Uh, Calgary and Detroit. And, uh, sorry, I must say Seattle now. For, there's a fourth Seattle oh. um, that I'll be going to later this year. But yeah, Calgary, Detroit, and Boston. So check Detroit, Boston Detroit's off the list. beautiful this time. <laughs> I heard. I if heard you it's look great. at my tweets since 2018, <laughs> I say it's my favorite city, and I'll stand by that. I love Detroit. God bless Detroit. Jesse, get your ass there. It is I great do, because you know what we used to do, me and my buddies, we uh, cards on the table. I grew up a Red Wing fan. Um, you go to Windsor, you stay in Windsor. You, Party at the casino, have a good time. And there's actually a city bus that you jump on. Well, I don't know if it's there anymore. This is when it was the joke. And it, a city bus takes you across the border and takes you to the game. And then you jump on the city bus, takes you right back to your hotel. It was That's fantastic. Cool. Yeah. So anyways, get to Detroit. But what's the other thing you were about to say? Oh, just, yeah, that, that trip. I'm going to have some good stuff coming out of that. I'm excited for that. Spending oh, like a week in New York City right before Christmas. So can't complain about that either. Should be fun. Should be a good trip. What about you, Sarah? Um, I've been a little under the weather for the past few days, so kind of inching myself back to coverage, but I have a few kind of like off the wall things coming up. I'm doing a little Q and a with two like really random people. So look out for those that are like on a national level and then trying to catch up on hurricanes coverage. So wish me luck. I wish you luck. I'm feeling the exact same way battling a little Thanks. something. I'm sure that no, no players want you around. Yeah, exactly. I didn't sick. take so those just- trip to Canada. So. <laughs> so stay at home thanks a lot guys we got a lot of uh, other great stuff you can listen to speaking of Detroit Dylan Larkin the captain of the Red Wings joins Sean Gentili and guest co-host Max Boltman on the Athletic USA this week uh, big thanks for listening to this show the Athletic Hockey Show and remember follow us on your favorite podcast platform don't forget leave a rating and a review and you could subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network this week, it's our roundtable's turn to do that bonus content. And last week, we went a little off the rails, but we had a little t- fun doing it as well. Uh, so make sure to check that out. You start with a 30-day free trial, then it's just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, you get an annual subscription to The Athletic for just $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. The Athletic Hockey Show continues Thursday with Ian Mendez and down goes Brown. For Sarah, for Jesse, I'm Rob. We'll see you next week. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.